Well, hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Bomb City Podcast. Uh, my name is Nick. If this is your first episode, thanks for joining us. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. This episode is a ton of fun. I'll get right into it. This is my interview with Bruce Gossett, the incredibly talented artist, hot rodder, and screen printer from up in West Sacramento. Uh, we got along great. This was my first time meeting him the, the day of this interview. And uh, man, it was so much fun to record. So here it is, episode 11 of the Bomb City Podcast, Bruce Gossett. Thanks so much for listening. Are we recording now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, the full story is, dude, is I actually, I got into art to get away from cars. Yeah. Believe it or not. I, uh, <laughs> I grew up around um, automobiles. My uh, my stepfather is a... Uh, used, used car dealer. Yeah. And when I was a child, he always had different lots over here on, you know, off of Fulton Avenue. If you're in the Sacramento region, you know about Fulton Avenue. That used to be where all the dealerships were. And he always had small used car lots. Um, but back then, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it was the end of the freewheeling years of, of car dealers. Yeah. Um, it's a different ball game now. CarMax and all that shit's totally changed the game. But um, back then it was pretty crazy, man. And it was rad as shit as a child. Every night he came home with a different fucking car. That's awesome. You know, I mean, um, he had a thing for... Like Porsches, slapbacks, targets, shit like that. And I, I, to this day, I have an appreciation of those. Um, but, uh, but like he'd come home and he'd have smoking the bandits fucking car. Or like <laughs> the next day, my, what I really liked is when he brought home the vans. Yeah. The vans, I fucking loved vans back then, dude. I mean, the fucking, and you name it, man. All the shag, all the fucking yeah. side pipes, you name it. And, uh, um, so, I mean, when I was a kid, I'd go detail cars at his lots and shit. And that's how I actually got my first car is uh, uh, he nabbed a a 72 Chevelle at the auction block. Back then what they used to do is they pull plug wires before they ran through the block. So it sounded like the fucking motor was missing (laughs) and he'd get a car. I mean, I think he got that 72 Chevelle as an old grandma, one owner, uh, uh, 72 Chevelle for, I think he got it for like 150, 200 bucks. Uh Um, which <laughs> nowadays yeah. those were actually really desirable cars. They, yeah. they, they became popular in the last 10, 15 years or whatever. But I mean, I, and I think back now, I mean, that was probably, ah, shit, probably about 86, 85, 86. And I, it, it, I, I giggle back now because it wasn't that old. That car wasn't that yeah. old. I didn't think about that, that <laughs> back then. I mean, it's a pretty cherry one older grandma car. Yeah. But anyway, I, I paid for that with him by detailing cars and shit. And I remember the first week or two, his lot was around the corner from Tognati's auto world, which is still there to this day. Um, and I immediately, I mean, this is before I had my driver's license. I was 15, um, immediately took it over there and, um, uh, had tires and well, we tracked down the rally wheels. And so I, then I went over there and had the tires put on and I remember them thinking that, there was going to be a fitment problem because I wanted these bigger tires in the back. And I'm like, well, I'll roll the inside fender lip with yeah. that. He's like, well, yeah. So I did that the night before and then we took it in and everything fit up good. But like, I mean, before I had my license, I wanted yeah. to fucking modify shit. And I think that came from like skateboarding and BMX and stuff yeah. like that, where you tricked your shit out, yeah. you personalized stuff. Um, uh, so it was, it was intuitive to do it with the car thing. 
Um, so anyway, that the 72 Chevelle was my first car and like cut my teeth on, on modifying that. I remember saving up to get my first intake manifold and I got it from speed shops over yeah. on, uh, um, fucking Watt Avenue, I believe is where they were at at the time. But I remember saving up to go get an Ello Brock intake. And it was like, I remember when I got it, dude, get taking it out of the box. It was just fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I swapped the manifold in my parents' driveway and like all my friends were playing football that day down at the park. And I chose to fucking, yeah. they didn't understand what the fuck you fucking doing with the car. And I, like, I spent the day changing them at that. I, I was a pig in mud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but again, that was a weird time too. That was the, uh, the 80s. There was smog. Um, that was the beginning. I had a 72 Chevelle, so that was the beginning years of smog shit. So, man, you always had to deal with smog. And I mean, that shit was a nightmare. People don't understand this nowadays. But back then, I mean, there were kink smogs going on, shops that were doing, you know, uh, sticking the sniffer. But back then, you put the, the sniffer in a tailpipe, yeah. and they would stick them in a, a dummy car <laughs> to pass, and they were doing kink smogs. Yeah. Well, that was a fucking... There were dudes getting five, ten years in fucking prison for doing that. Yeah. It was fucking ugly. I remember it scaring the shit out of me because you weren't never know if you were going to get caught in a sting or something. But, like, we'd modify our cars, right. and they wouldn't pass visuals, so you'd have to go to a shop after hours that wouldn't pop the hood, and it was like... Uh, man, that shit struck fear in me, man. I don't know. It was fucked up. But since then, I mean, like, they've they've laxed out here on that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, uh, I think technically, you know, your lady se later 70s vehicles are still not supposed to be visually altered and shit. I'm not, yeah. I, I don't own anything that, you know, I mean, like, as far as, like, the cars I like right. or pre that. But there was a dark period there in the 80s. It was fucking gnarly, man. Yeah. It was a weird thing, but um, anyway, getting back to like the beginnings, I just always was around cars. Yeah. Always loved, dug them, um, but I don't know. I didn't, and I didn't see any connection between art and cars and shit like that. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't really. An art was an abstract term to me. I didn't really understand that when I was younger. I look back now and realized I used to draw. Like I remember, I used to do. Uh, lightning bolts on my skateboard we'd have to make our own skateboard we'd have to cut them out and shit it was like clay wheel shit you yeah. know what i mean i remember i remember when urethane came out and them fucking cadillac wheels and you'd go into the skateboard shop and they'd have a rack you know the glass counter and they'd all be full of those new urethane wheels and it was like lifesavers it was like candy dude it was so fucking rad um but i used to you know customize my skateboard and shit and i remember i'd go up to thrifties and get a 10 cent fucking ice cream cone and then hang out in the aisles and try to pocket as much testers <laughs> paint as i could and then i'd go home and i'd paint these lightning bolts on these skateboards and i didn't think anything I'd, it's actually something i thought about recently that yeah. made the connection that i guess i was kind of always doing stuff like that or i'd make i do i'd have a half pipe in the backyard yeah. so i drew up plans um for that um uh, so I guess I always had a proclivity to drawing, but I just didn't. In my household, I just didn't, wasn't exposed. That oh, by the way, you know, you can make a living doing art. There's yeah. people out there that, you know, there's an industries for the, you know, I just was never presented with that. It was a real blue collar, um, uh, meat potatoes kind of upbringing. Um, and in fact, towards the end of high school, I was uh, doing ROP for uh, drafting. Um, 
And I enjoyed that, but it was right about the time that CAD was coming in, yeah. the computer-aided drafting, and it left me cold. I, it was clear I had a, th a thing for working with my hands and, yeah. and whatnot, so that that didn't fucking work out. But and that early yeah. CAD program stuff, I, they used to play around with it when I was a kid. It's so awful. Oh, it was so primitive. Yeah. I think my friend had something called Turtle CAD, where it was like a little arrow, and you give it commands and it moves. Mm -hmm. So you're like programming mm -hmm. shapes. Uh, it was... Yeah, it was like I I I, I, I connect it with like Atari yeah. video games and shit. It was just really crude and it was bad. and and it was again. I got into that right at that that threshold of where it was transitioning. So I was actually doing ROP for the um, it was a Bureau of Land Management or whatever uh, over off Cottage Boulevard. But I actually they they placed me in an actual functioning. Uh, business it was you know uh, uh, so I had my own desk and my own Leroy set which was for lettering and shit and I had access to the blue lines for doing blueprints and shit like that and I really liked that aspect of it it reminded me of like um, Brady Bunch and like you know the pot, the dad was that uh, yeah. architect or whatever and so he had that dra drafting table and, his, yeah. and that registered with me for some reason I don't know but um, anyway the funny thing about all that is, is I, uh, when I, I was around cars, I mean, I, you know, coming of age in the eighties, all the car interaction I ever had was with muscle car guys yeah. and which was what was the thing at that time, at least in my universe. And, um, I guess that, that whole that whole thing just left me cold. I don't know, the numbers matching, yeah. fucking this, that, and the other thing. And then the whole other extreme of like 80s pastel graphics and, you know, tubbed wheel wells and all that shit. And I just, I don't know, man. It wasn't my, I always felt like I was out of step. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I didn't know, I mean, I knew about Roth and stuff. And I mean, that stuff appealed to me aesthetically, but I didn't realize there were car guys out there that yeah. were like thinkers and like weird yeah. and like... Back then, were you learning about Roth more through like the model cars or... Probably model cars yeah. and like uh, uh, maybe the occasional pop-up in like a magazine or something because right. he was at some event and there was coverage or whatever. Just I, not put it together that there are people doing Yeah, this. I didn't make the connection. Yeah. It just was just outside of my my sphere but i was just around cars whatever um uh so i i start getting into i it's we'll skip over this real quick but i tried getting into stand-up comedy at yeah. one time i really like i was i still to this day love watching stand-up comedy was but this? This, was... this was probably um, 86 87 so that's like right eight. At the beginning of the boom, right when clubs started popping up and yeah, yeah, to uh -huh. no, totally, totally. And I, I, I tried my hand at, at, you know, I was writing stand up material, whatever, in my feeble attempt at that kind of shit. Um, and I did a, an open mic, and I just, I figured out real quick that I had stage fright, oh. and and since then I had had come to understand that most anybody that does that deals with that and you have to work yeah. through it well i chose not to work through it it was just like i, I was just scared shitless yeah you know what I, mean? I got through a set and it yeah. was horrible and whatever you still but remember I, any of your jokes yeah i remember doing a lot of jokes about like 
Jim Morrison of the Doors and shit. Like I just did stupid stuff. I was like, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. During that period, that was towards the beginning of. I, I used to enjoy doing a lot of psychedelia and stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I like mind altering stuff at that time, and. Uh, uh, I kind of considered myself a feral cat at that period. You know what I mean? I was pretty wild, or at least thought I was in comparison with other people, but whatever. But uh, um, I don't know. I did. I didn't. I didn't feel I, that wasn't my calling. I'm like, man, this ain't for me, fucking. And I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was a off the cuff thing. I was already out of high school or whatever, and I ended up taking a couple art classes over at the city college, and uh, I'll bite all the subject matter and you know the the sitch, you know the the content in which it was in was fucking mind-numbingly boring to me i i don't know i kind of took an aptitude to 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 drawing and you know and and this and i kind of liked it so i started switched to a different city college started doing more and then i uh applied to ccac out of oakland and uh i was on my way of doing that or you're going to move there and shit and i uh um I was dating my current current girlfriend at the time, so I I don't know I, I was at a, one of those decisions, and I I decided that I was going to live with my girl because I really I really liked her, and I didn't want to give up that relationship because I knew moving away would have killed that. And then on top of that, I was like, I, was, I had my misgivings about school. I was like, it seemed like I was already starting to gravitate towards. Um, underground art. By then, I had already acquired. There's two books that were seminal during that period. I had acquired the uh, Alex Gray, uh, okay. but he does. Uh, I guess they used his shit, um, like Beastie Boys used some of his imagery. Right. He does a lot of the metaphysical body. It just it was mind bending to me at the time. I mean, it's not necessarily something um, I was drawn to as far as visually. Like I wanted to have that hanging on my wall. It was more like there was some dude that sat down and fucking painted this. It was a painted image. It was very intriguing to me. And the second one was, was Williams first book, the lowbrow art of Robert Williams. And that, that fucked me up. That completely, I was very intrigued by that and really started digging after that. And that was towards the end of the eighties. And I always cite that I started in 89 and that's pretty close. It was, you know, maybe a little earlier, 87, 80, I don't know. But by about 89, it was starting to be on like, it was on at that point. It yeah. was starting to connect the dots. Did you zero in on what you liked about Robert Williams stuff? Like what about it? Well, was... first of all, out of the gate, um, it wasn't necessarily car shit. Yeah. Oddly enough. Um, uh, it was just, uh, aside from the overall aesthetics of it and the mind-bending aesthetic, just trying to figure out how someone could do, would draw something like that and, you know, and then ink it up and stuff. Um uh, it was the way he did it. Yeah. And it's to, to this day, I mean, I, I, uh, I can't shake that, that influence. And there was a point a few years ago where I just gave up. I'm like, fuck, I don't care. I just like, I really like that aesthetic. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and you do research and you figure out where some of that shit, you know, I could point to some sources and references that, yeah. you know, probably influenced him. Um, but then there was a whole other group of artists, you know, they're kind of working alongside him that were, yeah. you know, you know, like Newton that was, you know, some people don't know, you know, this audience who's listening will know that he was the guy that was illustrating Ross shit, but like, 
fucking Newton, dude, is like God to me. He's like, the fucking way he rendered the car is in the smoke. And he's still around, as far as I know. And I, um, uh, but like, it was just, ah, it was just unbeatable. Yeah. And there's like, just, I'm re- you know, you get doing this stuff after a while and you get real like opinionated about, eh, that's not right. There's, you know, there's some, there's some stuff that just resonates with you the way it's mm-hmm. done. And like, Newton was the king and, you know, William's, I'll bite. Uh, he'll negate the fact that he's even involved in a rod and custom word in the world anymore, which always cracks me up, you know. And he'll he will point out that it's been fucking it was 30, 40 years since I've done a fucking a car rendering or whatever, and he's still yeah, but it's still out there. He's yeah. still the king in that right. world, you know what I mean? And he's he's dumbfounded by it. But um, uh, my view was there was a point where it's like you know what I I want to be so bold as to try to pick up where he left off because he kind of stopped in the 70s yeah you know the car stuff his you know imagery he did a few things in the 80s when he was doing like the zombie mystery paintings he did like snuff fink and you know but for the most part he just stepped away from rendering the automobile and uh, i always loved the way he did it yeah and so i'd always considered that well that's the fucking benchmark that's you know that's what I need to pursue. But anyway, so here's the deal. I didn't. I, I got into art to kind of get away from cars because yeah. I was that meathead mentality and these these street you know these street machine guys, muscle car guys. Um, it just wasn't appealing to my sensibilities or whatever. Yeah. So I kind of get into art to get away from that, and then uh, a buddy. Uh, who he off and on he was living in San Francisco, but his name was uh, and he's out there. I, I know, he's not really in the scene anymore, but uh, uh, he don't know. He might hear this, but his name is uh, Jefferson Howery. Okay. Goes by Jake. Um, he's a really instrumental guy. He was he was working for Tower because um, Tower's corporate headquarters were here in West Sac. Oh. Um, uh, so he did a lot of sign stuff for them. He worked at the fucking sign mm-hmm. shop at the corporate place. And I forget who introduced us. Susie and I forget the, her boyfriend's name. They introduced us to Jake. Um, and I immediately hit off with Jake. He was, he was into airbrushing. He was doing all this visual shit. He was in the cars. Um, and he's the one who kind of started enlightening me to the fact that there were guys out there that were fucking hip on this car ship, yeah. but they were also hip. They were hip to the music and fucking this, that, and the other thing. And uh, it was very eye-opening for me. He's the guy that introduced me to David Perry. Yeah. And David Perry's the one It was like, he connected all the dots for me. Awesome. It was it was a really, really important figure with me. And then fr- and we were really, I was really close friends with him. I really dug interacting with David because he was like, he just had a really cool perspective on things. And he was a thinking guy. Yeah. He was an intelligent um uh, outlook on things it was different from the general meathead car mentality you know what i mean yeah. um it's interesting i mean that i never met him before but hearing you describe him like that is sort of the way that most people would describe how his photography is different because it's just a slightly different angle well it's it, it's it's from his perspective yeah. and he has a very interesting past like he was a musician and um uh, and his set of influences. And I remember, I forget when, uh, you know, after Hot Rod had come out, his book, um, 
uh, I'm pretty certain he told me that that entire soundtrack to him for making that book, as far as editing and composing it, was was Tom Waits. You know what I mean? And that like that totally like was rad to me. It yeah. was like it, when it was totally outside of like what you would normally. And and I spent a lot of time with Dave, and we listened to a lot of Tom Waits. Yeah. And I could totally see the end. I can see it in looking at the book. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but I mean, he was. Uh, you know, he had he had cool thoughts. He was a thinking man. You know what I mean? He is a thinking man. You know what I mean? And then he did, you know, Border Town with uh, Barry Gifford and and Barry Gifford's writing and shit. And you know, and it has overtones of beat. You know, yeah. beat speak and uh, uh, you know, and that shit's it appealed to me. Yeah, beatniks beatniks have always appealed to me. You know that. Uh, you know, sure, the Jack Kerouac shit on the road, all blah, blah, blah. But, like, I don't know. I like the, the, the Hollywood version of it. Of, right. you know, the Maynard Krebs version. Yeah, yeah, no clapping. It's just all finger snaps, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just, I'd always, that always appealed to me. And to, David was a beatnik. Yeah. You know, like a real beatnik. You know what I mean? Um, but, anyway, he's the dude that, like, really gelled everything for me and I didn't really as far as art I didn't really attempt to do any renderings as far as car stuff before then and then like uh, you know Jake and 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 David Perry those guys got got me juiced on this car thing again and I kind of kept my eyes out and I'd always still kept mechanically minded during the off time there but I came across a 54 Plymouth um two-door post it was a post car and I fucking nabbed that and start modifying it and again I I, I get in around this new breed of car guy it was they were connecting the dots with me like it's Frankenstein shit dude like cars don't care that it's not of the same make or whatever you can stuff whatever you want into whatever and if the shit will hook up and fucking this that and the other thing it can function and that was just an an enlightening thing to me you know what i mean that's so different from the muscle car world where things are numbers matching oh yeah 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 no that that was you know an atrocity to them to do think like that and like to me it was like liberating i was like this is fucking ready i mean i could stick a chevy in this ford and like fucking (laughs) put these fucking really like and it was uh you know and i had a lot of uh, mechanic buddies um older gentlemen that you know that i befriended and uh uh you know, it was old hats to them. They were like, oh, fuck, you know, this is, you're like on the third time around here, kid, fucking. But, they, you know, and they, you know, they uh, instilled in me like, yeah, dude, and I just, car parts don't know fucking, they're not supposed to go together. Like, right. you can make anything work together. If you put enough time into it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think that was like the, my, you know, aha moment of like, ah, oh, fuck. So, I mean, I had fun modifying that Plymouth and, uh, and eventually I uh, I tried blowing up the flat six and I ran the flat six for a long time I love flat sixes dude yeah. they're fucking a great sounding motor they're often derided as a fucking tractor motor or a, you know for a generator or whatever but uh, they got a nice sound to them and they're fucking indestructible but uh, uh, I started getting a rod knock in that thing and it just wasn't going to go away and uh, uh I actually, funny thing is, is I tried blowing that, the motor up on that car, 
when we the day we went to um, Eric Hogan's funeral. Yeah. He was a tattoo guy here in, in Sacramento, and uh, 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 three or four of us piled into my Plymouth, and I'm like, fuck this, let's blow this car up on Eric's funeral's day, fuck it. You know, because I knew I was going to put another motor in it. And, yeah. Dude, I had that bitch floored. Was, they were out, that funeral was out in Roseville, and I had that fucking car floored, loaded down with people the whole way there and the whole way back. That fucking motor would not explode. I was, I was bummed. Anyway, I yanked that motor. Not too long after that, I ended up putting in a uh, 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 273 uh, out of a. I bought a whole car in pieces just for that motor. It was a 68 Dart GT, which the 68 Dart GT was actually a really desirable car. It was a nice car. It was a two door, and it had, it had a front fiberglass front clip. It was fucking a nice package. I just wanted the motor. So I fucking I got the motor and I. Uh, uh, sold off the rest of the carcass for probably way less than I should have or whatever. Um, what happened was actually the reason I went with that V8 is, is my old man had a set of late model uh, Dodge Dakota headers that were chrome. Mm-hmm. And the the later small block headers would fit on the earlier motors. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking figure out a way to you can get this motor in there just because of these headers i just always liked chrome headers and i just think i would never go out and buy the fucking things because they're expensive um even then they were expensive and uh, i remember i had to do some crazy shit man like there was like a the main collector pipe just hit the fucking uh the steering column and um i didn't want to really get into fucking having to see notch the frame to fucking move that the the steering box out so what i ended up doing was taking that one driver's side header and I went out to there's a fucking header shop over out in Rancho I forget the name of the outfit it's a well-known outfit and I took him the fucking this header and I'm like this is what I'm thinking about doing I want to take a potato chip out of this fucking section here flip it weld it back up I go is that going to pinch the exhaust so much that I'm going to be fucking up this fucking flow and he's like are you taking this to the drag strip and I go no dude this is my fucking daily fucking blah 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 and he's like knock yourself out dude so (laughs) I fucking I actually I wasn't the best at welding at that time so I had a buddy come out and uh uh, I cut it apart and flipped that chip and he tigged it up for me and it fucking worked rad dude and actually ended up working as a uh uh, like a torque strap because it was kind of a potato chip in this header pipe and that steering column went right through it, yeah. you know, through the edge of it. Well, if you fucking stood on it, that motor would come up and lock into that. So you'd almost feel the wheel twitch when you fucking nail it. It was, it was a really fun car, but I flaked the firewall and tricked it all out and shit. And in fact, I liked it so much, I never put the hood back on it because yeah. I just like driving it without the hood. And actually to this day, I like seeing <laughs> customs that have, sometimes they look good with the hood off, yeah. particularly 50s cars, but... Uh, to me but uh um, that car is actually still floating around it floated around to a handful of friends i mean it, it ended up down in the central valley i think at one point it it almost ended up in canada um i seen it not too long ago at like autorama or some shit out in the parking lot and uh to this day it looks pretty much like it did when i had it. a few a few things have been changed but no one's ever touched that engine bay yeah it's all done the way i had done it it's fucking and i'm pretty sure it's probably still that way to this day it's pretty rad it was pretty neat to see that no one had kind of messed with the, uh that but anyway i ended up selling that car to buy this truck the the 40 chevy um and it was just an opportunity i didn't think i'd get a chance to do you know these things weren't getting any cheaper yeah um i could 
unload that car and kind of pony up a little more money and get this that I was it was a really it was a well done you know meat and potatoes part of it had been done um, and I wasn't going to be able to get it any cheaper than that anytime yeah. soon so I jumped at it and I'm glad I did because it would become really popular um, but I'd always wanted a pre-war car and um, uh, I like you know I like that deco and the pontoon fenders and yeah. um it's been a really fun truck, but it was tough to sell that that Plymouth, dude. And I still, I a couple of times I almost got, bought it back really cheap because the guys that had it let it go to pot, you know, uh, at the time or whatever. But you know, there's only so much space. So anyway, that's where we're at now. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, the car thing, I didn't. It took a while for me to start drawing cars yeah. and you know applying the art stuff to to that and it was man it was a fucking learning curve to me yeah. um i just took a really long time i think drawing cars is difficult yeah. um and it took a while for it to click i don't think i'm all that good i mean frankly um but i do remember there was a point where things started clicking like oh i think i understand now the language of rendering an automobile. And I've said this before in interviews that I've really, I really, I think there is this connection to me um, in the approach of rendering mechanical stuff and automobiles and stuff and, and rendering the female form yeah. in, in a similar aspect that it's like uh, less is more. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a really delicate thing. The, the slightest deviation and twitch can fuck everything all up yeah I, you know I, I think there's a similarity there but um to me an automobile is it's a really delicate thing to render it's it's an odd it's an odd thing and it took a long time to fucking figure that out it doesn't hurt to be a mechanical dude and like yeah. understand cars somewhat and like understand you, why things are the way they are correct yeah yeah and it there was a learning curve there yeah. like you know i wasn't as hip on the uh pre-war shit when i was first starting like dropped axles and like yeah. you know fucking hairpins and fucking the side you know there's you know, stuff that's mechanical uh that serves a purpose and if right. it's if it's fucked up in any way you get spotted immediately you know yeah. what i mean a little bit of that learning curve there but like um yeah i don't know the other thing is dude is i really like old cars i really like driving them owning them working on them I'd always have. I think I always will. You know. Yeah, this, um, this truck was your your daily for a while, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, totally, totally. I, I had that, and I have a, I had a, a, a '65 Plymouth Fury, yeah. um, uh, and I I'd, I'd go back and forth between the two. Uh, um, you know, some I'd be driving only one of them, you know, for months on end, and I'd switch to the other one or whatever. And in uh, that 54 Plymouth, when I had that 54 Plymouth, that's the only car I had. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, you name it, every scenario you can think of, I'd been with it, you know what I mean? When I first got it, it was still the six-volt yeah. uh, setup and, uh, you know, a few stranded parking lots with that fucking deal. <laughs> I fucking switched that in a heartbeat. I, I, the guys, there's guys out there that are really into that six volt thing. And I knew about the six twelve, fucking hybrid shit, but I'm just like, you know what, man, I'm driving this shit. I'm just fucking, I want it modern. If I get low battery, I can jump it. You know, it's just, there's a lot of things you don't think about. That's some antiquated shit. The oh, fucking yeah. six volt. And then like the positive ground, yeah. positive ground, six volt. Who the fuck thought of that? I don't <laughs> <Grassley>. <laughs> 
<laughs> just weird, yep. weird shit. But uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's the car thing is a that's a weird thing. You get it in your blood, and I don't think you can get it out. You know, yeah. Modifying shit and sh- stuff, and like knowing that. Um, uh, you can do those modifications and still drive it and it's still a functional thing and right. um, I like that I like that aspect of it and frankly I don't know you know I don't know how much longer we're going to have of that yeah you know what I mean I don't you know I mean I imagine we'll always still have these vehicles I mean does it do it does it end up being just a parade car and you get special tags to where you can you know you can drive it on the weekends to fucking showboat around or does it get to a point where we're going to be pulling drive trains out and putting electric motors in these yeah. things i don't you know and that's being done now i mean there's you know we could be uh, living in a golden age and not really realize it well and i, I think about these things because yeah. i think the writing's on the wall with with this gasoline shit man you know what i mean and i'm fucking trust me i gotta run it through my veins <laughs> but you gotta you know you gotta observe these things right. i mean how far can we go with this i don't know but we're fortunate out here in california man we got a lot of a lot of cool cars and we can still drive them yeah register for, drive them and, for know. as much shit as we have to deal with living in the state of california thank god we don't have vehicle inspections oh my god for, yeah that would uh, kill so many oh man <laughs> yeah i don't know about you but that's kind of shit it harkens me back it takes me back into ed space of like the smogging stuff in the 80s it's yeah. like it just sends chills up to my spine i don't want to have to fucking talk to some official and yeah. quantify you know stuff on a vehicle and especially when they're looking for turn signals and hazard lights and you're just like fucking yawn and you're like yeah whatever man <laughs> you know what I mean? and i mean and in the state of california you know hand signals are still legal right and i've been pulled over in these old things and yeah. like well i didn't see a signal back there and i go well no i did a hand signal and you know and a cop will cock his head like and I'm like, I think it's still illegal, correct? I'm pretty sure. No. Well, yeah, but you know, but the, you know, and they frown upon it. But it is. It's still you can still, yeah, still legal to operate a vehicle like that. <laughs> I don't know how it is in other countries. I imagine they have to have turn signals and shit like that. And who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> so I think we made it to where you were painting for Tower. Um, how'd you get from from painting for Tower Records to to where you're at today? Um, well, I got a ta- at the tower, and I was airbrush artist. Let, some people don't know that at most locations, most retail locations at tower stores, they had an art department mm-hmm. somewhere in that building, um, and they were the people that you know they were signed. They were they were foam artists, so what I you know they signed foam or uh, uh, foam core, huh. you know sheets four by eight sheets. They fucking things would come in by the semi, dude. It was yeah. fucking rad as shit. You know what I mean? A semi show up and you'd be pulling out crates of phone core, all colors. And you guys are just making like the displays. Or? Yeah, yeah. Basically, you'd be doing reproductions of the uh, of the new albums coming out and oh, shit. Cool. You know what I mean? And you know, obviously, the reps were coming in and greasing the artists to try to promote. You know, they fuck at the time. You know, I remember. You know, like the Pink Floyd's big album or whatever or was it I still only have one sign sitting up there it's at X Unclogged when oh. X Unclogged came out and like those reps would come in and they'd try to get you to do the biggest display they could squeeze you yeah. to do because it promotes the fucking album or whatever and it was it was a rad time it was the end it was you know what dude it was the end of the 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 music shit being really rad yeah. you know and, and working that environment because dude it was crazy man them reps you know, they come in, hey, man, we really want you to, 
you know, do as big a sign as you can, like a fucking, can you do a four by eight? Like fucking of this, you know, whatever, Forrest Gump fucking movie. Or, you know, I was just saying, it was a real short period. I was only there a year. But like, and I'm like, yeah, man, but you know, you're fighting against this dude over here who fucking wants, and he's all, well, come out to the car. And they'd, they'd open a trunk, dude, and it was a fucking records. It was, I mean, CDs were at the time uh, the thing. And like, their whole trunk was CDs. And they're just like, take whatever you want, dude. And I mean, I remember when I started there, I had, I owned like three CDs. And when I left, I probably had like six or 700. <laughs> and um, um, they'd grease you to promote whatever they needed you to promote. But um, it was really rad in the fact that I knew I got, I was airbrushing before I worked there, but I, I, uh, I learned how to, to do production airbrush work. So you'd have an album cover you were going to reproduce. You'd get the scale of, you know, whatever fucking phone core. And a lot of times, aside from cutting out the text, you know, try to get that three dimensional look and whatnot. We'd airbrush or paint, we reproduce the fucking thing big yeah. and I got schooled on how to you know line up a color palette and fucking not sit there and like okay I'm gonna spray red and then yeah. sit there and prep the paint I'm gonna do some black you fucking you figured out what the color scheme was and you had that shit lined up in cups you know what I mean it was a fucking yeah. production line and within two three hours you had a fucking fully realized it was you learned production huh. how to fucking do stuff efficiently quickly um, all that stuff and it was fucking rad i was That's a pig cool. in mud man <laughs> but here's the dark side of tower they don't fucking pay shit <laughs> and rad as shit to work there uh but man god it was a lot of top ramen and fucking hot dogs and you name it but i was learning and uh but i saw the writing on a wall i'm like man as much as i love this um i can't make a living doing this and uh, on top of that, that's when the record industry started going into shitter. Yeah. Towards you know, it was writing was on the wall. It didn't get it got worse in the late nineties, um, but uh, you could see it change and like all the the store managers that were rock and rollers with long hair, dudes that looked like Lemmy and shit like that. They were getting squeezed out, and all these corporate dudes were coming in and like it was changing. You could see it. Yeah. It wasn't as freewheeling as fun. They were probably you don't really imagine what it was like twenty years before then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, fucking insider coke parties and these fucking there's a fucking that was crazy shit back then man yeah. i mean the movie you know the tower movie just came out yeah and i mean i think they they probably glossed over a lot of the insanity that was going on during that time frame but anyway um i was doing a lot of airbrushing i was doing a lot of stenciling with airbrushing and then i i made the connection that screen printing was probably what I should probably get into and it took a little while but I finally got a shop to take me in and I learned uh, it was a quick study on that I figured out real quick that I liked it um, I saw the connection with reproducing my art down the road um, all of it I mean I connected it all so I'm like I like this I like this I could get in I could sink my teeth into it so I really got into screen printing I ran the production at that shop for like three years or something but the guy wouldn't get an automatic and i was fucking doing these huge runs man you'd print like a thousand shirts and multicolor on dark and i'd be doing it after three or four days my arms were turning rubber and he thought it was funny and i'm like dude you got to get an automatic bro you're killing me here and i was a young guy then you know and i'm like and he just thought it was funny well i i started moonlighting at this other shop downtown and uh I liked it better, so I ended up going working downtown, and that's where I had been for like 15 years, um, up till like 2012, 2013. 
um, uh, I managed production there and I had a pretty casual schedule. Like I, I, they were really cool about me letting me have my space to do what I was doing because I was pretty headlong into, into doing art and whatnot by then. And then, uh, you know, right about then is when I started doing Black Cat Press with Ira, um, Ira Cowart, and he was, he's the digital dude and I was doing all the illustration and it's about 2000, 2001. We, uh, we started Black Cat Press and like I was doing that the whole time I was managing that production shop and it just kind of like it I never really conflicted too much um, uh, as long as I got what needed to get done there they were cool with whatever I was I you know ever any after hours stuff I was doing or you know and I was doing a lot of vending by then so I'd have you know I wasn't going to be there on Friday because I was going to be vending all week you know it was just it was a pretty freewheeling um and then again the, the screen printing industry's changed a lot since then it was a lot more freewheeling man I mean it was screen printing was is pretty crazy you know yeah. what I mean um, um you know I don't just a lot of characters yeah. in that, you know, when I, at least when I got into it. And, um, um, so I just kind of did both. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it didn't seem to be hurting anything. I could like, I didn't have to work so hard to fucking make ends meet just doing the art. And I knew right away, I knew years ago that like, man, it's, it's a tough racket just doing art yeah. and, and making a living. I mean, it's, it's, I, you know, there's a lot of people I think have delusions of grandeur about this shit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, I never had that. I, I just, I knew from right out of the gate. It's like, man, there's a lot of connecting the dots here. And it's, it's, you know, your, your odds are stacked against you and there's just a lot. So I just approached it as a passion thing and just kind of did it regardless of, if I was making money or not, I just fucking did it. Um, but it came to a point where I was doing it so much where it clicked. I started kind of, I, I think, and I think you can see it in the work that it like started connect. It just started working. You know what I mean? The, the aesthetically or whatever. And, uh, um, I still think there's a long way to go, but, um, uh, I think there's, uh, uh, I think there's a marked change in the work at some point in there, yeah. or like the early 2000s to me. Um, and I think I had some highlights there in the 90s or whatever, but um, whatever. Uh, what do you think changed for you that, that made the art take a little different direction? Was it just a reference or I know, exposed to more stuff? Or? I think, well, I think exposure's critical, you know what I mean? I mean, I was trying to bounce around as much as I could. And I was a little more aggressive back then and being on the scene or whatever, or being in the right place. Or, uh, I mean, I was never super aggressive about that, probably to my own gentriment. But uh, regardless, I mean, a lot of stuff in San Francisco, there was, there was a lot of cool things that happened, you know, like the Custom Culture yeah. show one and two that happened. I forget the dude's name to put that on. I'm always horrible with names, but uh, there was more big events. I mean, like... Uh, Fuck, I think it was the first one, like Dick Dale was playing and like it was they were they were all warehouse hollowed out warehouses and it was like uh it was like pop up thing. This was like ninety seven, ninety eight, some shit like that. And like um 
just massive, just massive rooms, multiple rooms. It, were, it was crazy, yeah. but it celebrated the, the you know, the lowbrow art and the hot rodding, and, and it was, it was you know, it was punk rock, and uh, it was just a whole hodgepodge of shit. It was yeah. fucking enlightening, you know, and I, there were some guys, graffiti guys, you know, like, I think Mir One was at one of those, and, like, I got exposed to, like, what he was doing as far as, like, how evolved graffiti was coming, and I always liked graffiti. I never did it. But I always liked the aesthetic of it. So, like, really seeing his art prints that he was peddling coming up from Southern California really enlightened me, like, how vast um, there was a generation coming up that just really aesthetically driven, yeah. you know, and making cool shit. Um, and a lot of these guys were all accessible, dude. It was, yeah. you know what I mean? It was... Uh, uh, you know, the rock and roll dudes were walking through the show. You need like fucking holy shit. That's what, you know, and it was just real casual. It was, yeah. it was a rad thing. Um, I was fortunate, really fortunate to kind of have access to that. I mean, you know, and again, like Lavella, yeah. you know, and him doing Gearhead. That was a, it was a major thing at yeah, the time. I mean, I mean, it was. You put it together. Yeah, yeah. And that was, uh, uh, I, clearly I wasn't the only one that that fucking resonated with and appealed yeah. to. I mean, I totally got the connection between music and, um, uh, in cars. I mean, I'm way more apt to be listening to fucking Motorhead or, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever while I'm driving than any fucking doo-wop or right. some shit like that. It just, I mean, I grew up around it with my, my parents. I mean, they were, they loved fucking American graffiti and doo-wop and shit. And I mean, I mean, God, it was like fucking, I'd heard enough of it by the time I, you know, moved out on my own and shit. And Oh my God. It's still hard to get away from that at the shows nowadays, but, uh, it, yeah it's funny too like there are some shows where that hasn't improved but like members of bands that would be better played through the speakers or walking through the show right like how did we not come to this conclusion earlier like mm -hmm. I don't know you've got like half a Metallica in this room and they're like wandering through and like yeah Lucky Seven's got what the the drummer from Rancid's car in the shop like mm -hmm. they're all showing up to the shows and we're suffering through whatever they decide to put on the radio yeah yeah no totally totally <laughs> that has gotten a lot better though lately no they've gotten hip i mean obviously there's a whole we've had a good pretty good run of years now where you know the new generation has put on shows that have yeah. that are catering obviously to to this audience as opposed to uh you know the gray beards and that generation of of car guys you know yeah. um, i don't know it's a weird uh, it's a weird thing for me it's not it's it's a it's not reliving some uh you know revisionist past or something that it's that that's not what this is about for me and i don't think it is for a lot of people that are probably listening to this that it's 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 a um it's 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 um it's right now right. it's like you know what i mean it's it's a real thing it's a real you can go out and yeah. go travel all over in this old car i'm not trying to live some fucking um uh, streets of modesto fucking doing some cruise night yeah. you know i don't know fucking Fonzie happy days all that shit no it's not like that man it's right. like I don't know like uh, I, I did an interview a, a couple episodes ago with the guy that does custom Vader magazine 
Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that was so awesome from dealing with that guy, and I, I met him up here at a van show too, so I've been seeing a lot more of that this year. I was real skeptical at the beginning because it's that's one scene that's easy to buy your way into. Like you can oh, buy the van scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can buy a van and be a cool van guy. And sure. Have, Sure. Have done nothing for Well, you could it, be that in any of this. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was just a new trend that I was finally, I had enough distance between myself mm-hmm. and what was going on. Sure. Where I had some perspective. But the people that are buying up these vans, they're doing it to do it. And it's not like mm-hmm. they're reliving the 70s. No, they yeah. want to get in the van and go camping now. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. they want to drive across the, the country to Butler. Or, sure. It's, it's rad. I, I've always really loved cool. vans. It, vans are rad, dude. And actually, I custom uh, did some custom painting on a buddy's econo line um, and so I I had it for like a week and a half and so I was driving it every day I'd get done whatever I was doing to it and I'd drive it home I was driving it and it fuck man it got me all juiced on van I mean trust me I've thought in the last, last couple months I've thought about seeking out a van and because I, they're fucking rad as shit my thing about it is again it comes back to mechanics um the logistics of yanking a motor on a van just makes my skin crawl, dude. That's the one reason I've never had one yet because I, first of all, vans have got, got neglected for a lot of years. A lot of those oh, things yeah. got sidelined, and so they fucking, a lot of them need mechanical shit, if yeah. not a full-on rebuild on the motor. Fucking yanking a motor on a van makes my fucking skin crawl. Yeah. I just, the thought of it just isn't really appealing. But um, since I drove that, that one for, for that period of time, it kind of got me juiced on it, dude. They're like fucking rad as shit, especially when they got a good V8 in front of them and they fucking scoot one of those things. That's fun as shit. Oh, yeah, and they're totally but, practical. I mean, they, they can do oh, yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, 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 especially get the shorties. You know, yeah. they're actually a lot smaller than you'd think. But yeah. um, I used to, you know, there was a lot of derision for, uh, for a long time about, you know, checkbook car riders and guys just buying cars and i don't i'm not as like hard line on that I've, I've backed off i mean we all had that view for a long time but there's a point my thing is is this you can't buy fucking taste right and if someone maybe doesn't have the mechanical abilities to build something like that but is aware enough of how bitching a certain car is and is thinks it's so bitching that they're gonna fucking buy it right. and they actually jump through the hoops of actually buying it because sometimes that isn't easy either because these guys are prickly the guys that want to sell these things and yeah. a lot of obstacles involved and whatever so if you fucking are willing to jump in that arena and pull it off and get that car and and blah 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 i'm cool with it man yeah. I, I you know there are a lot of guys that fuck it up there are a lot of guys that get a car and they try to customize it and do this and that and they're just like missing the mark and yeah. it's just uh, no, you're, uh, you're totally right that's, that is like completely unfair criticism and, now, and, and you know and it's not dude it's not hard and fast you know as well as I there's dudes out there you're like really dude like what's gonna be next week a fucking right. rigid fucking triumph bobber hmm I don't but whatever I don't I don't again I think and I've met guys down in SoCal Southern California guys are a little more jaded about these things than yeah. we are up here I'm just like we're just like fucking whatever but um, you know these scenes and stuff they come and go and I could frankly to someone like me I could give a shit you know what I mean I like fucking old cars and it yeah. just means shit's gonna be cheaper if it's out of fad fucking whatever I, you know what I mean um I don't know. Vans. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's amazing to me that they've gotten big. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot bigger than I expected. I yeah. They're everywhere. Yeah, no, I think it's fucking, it's cool. Yeah. They're fun to paint. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Frankly, I'd like to do a whole yeah. full-on, you know, 
crazy paint job on one of them fucking things, but I don't know. I'm attracted to that paint style too. I like doing yeah. that kind of stuff, but it's really involved. And frankly, I'm not really set up here to do that, but, but yeah, I don't know. Where were we? I, fucking. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about vans and people buying in and we've made it through your story up until somewhat recently. But yeah, I don't, I, I mean, it, I really, a lot of it went back to like, um, uh, the, the late nineties and, and hanging out with David and he, him yeah. introducing me to a lot of key people and, um, you know, opening my eyes to a lot of stuff. And there was shit that wasn't car related. Like, I mean, he was doing photo shoots for like Harley Davidson and shit. And, um, I remember he, fl- he had, he got the motor clothes account one year for all the photography for all the the big promotional push for all the motor clothes for Harley and whatnot. So he, uh, he had that whole assignment out in fucking, uh, Milwaukee for like, it was like a week over a week project. And I remember it was, if I'm pretty sure it was the first, it might've been the second, but I'm pretty sure it was the first bulletproof and we missed it because we were on that shoot. He, he took me with him. I was like his grip or whatever, his lighting, you know, he, with quotes, hand quotes, I was the lighting dude or the grip or whatever. Basically I was his, um, support, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, a, a soundboard for aesthetics, if you will. Uh, I've always been grateful to him for doing shit like that. It was just so fucking eye-opening. Um, uh, like doing that, it was pretty crazy. I mean, we're talking shutting down freeways and fucking That's motorcycles crazy. and hanging out the side of windows with cameras and shit. It was just fucking funner than shit, dude. Um, long, long days though. I got man, I got sympathy for people that are like the movie industry and yeah. shit like that. They, I don't think people realize how grueling those days are and the hurry up and wait and yeah. you just got to be on set for fucking eighteen hours and it's just. Sometimes Man, they don't even shoot. Yeah, no, it was, and then when we did that, uh, uh, when when he did that that shoot it was those days were like 14 15 hours they were fucking grueling man and it was like wake up the next day do it again like um you were in a very fortunate position it was you know there were a lot of dudes that cut their limb off to get that that position you know i've got to think uh photographers out there but like man when you were in it man it was it was grueling it was great i mean you know but uh there was a few things like that he he, David bring me along like he you know he when he went down to uh, Robert and Suzanne's place and shot Suzanne for f- some magazine I forget what magazine it was for, um, but he took me along again quote unquote as the yeah. the lighting tech or the grip or whatever but Have like you met them before? what's that Have you met uh... I had met them before that um, a couple times in passing um, uh, I think once at like blessing of the cars and uh, I forget where else but. Uh, uh, that was that was a pretty uh, game changing thing for me because I we, you know we were at their house and stuff and um, uh, you know I'd always wanted where all that artwork where did all that artwork come from yeah. you know what I mean like most people would think of looking at that stuff and go man it's got to be a deranged mind that does that well Bob was just a dude he's just yeah. a dude you know what I mean he's just got some pretty fucking crazy ideas, but, and he's able to render it exquisitely, but stepping into their place, I was fucking blown away. It was just like, it's just a fucking tract house out in Southern California, the suburbs. And there were fucking those paintings stacked 
wow. in every wall. Like just they were everywhere. I was just it fucking blew my mind. Wow, this is this is where this is done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they were real nonchalant because they're really Bob and Suzanne are the neatest for sure. Um, but um, you know, it was eye opening to see yeah. where that that stuff came from and that it's just a dude that sits down and you know applies his craft and you know uh, you know it's 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 actually it's what it, you know what comes down to dude is just a strong work ethic yeah you know what i mean it's getting up every day and punching the clock this isn't like you know, some people have a lot of delusions of grandeur of what really artists really do and it's fucking showing up sitting down in the seat and fucking painting yeah you know what i mean and and constantly all the time you know yeah it's it's a grind for sure but i mean it's fucking it's rad yeah. you know what i mean um don't get me wrong i mean it's work but man it's it's it can be it has its highlights it's you know it's neat <laughs> no i was yeah a lot of it I, again i can't emphasize enough how much david perry helped out and like yeah. introduced me and enlightened me the way things operate how to like you know, sidestep ship stuff, you know, that's jive and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, a, a lot of rock and rollers and whatnot. Um, uh, you know, he just had the Midas touch um, during that period of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, and then they, you know, he got involved with, with Garage Magazine and, and Dan Stoner and, um, you know, that, that magazine opened quite a few doors for sure and um you know that whole jesse james fucking connection and all that shit but uh um you know it was a it was a pretty strong locomotive when it was when it was rolling you know what i mean um but you know i don't know it's weird the art thing's cyclical too dude i mean like i was just a show a lot in san francisco and the gallery and stuff and i don't show really there too much anymore because it's you know the car art is kind of was out of favor i think car art's coming back in favor a little bit now in the galleries yeah. but there was about 10 year period where they're just like yeah well, no we don't show, show uh you know automotive art or or they just call it lowbrow we don't show lowbrow yeah. or you know what i mean it was it's weird uh, people don't realize how cyclical art is you yeah. know and, and tastes come and go and you know one week or not one week but like you know one year that stuff's hot but like now it isn't and you know and you you know what do you do do you stick to your guns or do you kind of mutate and roll with the punches um i don't know yeah. Uh, I chose to stick to my guns. I like, because I, again, I like cars. And like, fuck it, this shit will come back around, whatever. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, people's people's attitudes towards lowbrow art has changed a lot. I don't know, it would be like a weird thing to go to a car show these days and see someone walking around with a shag t-shirt or, you know, like. Right. It's, uh, it's changed a lot. Well, I, shag was enlightening to me because we, we printed the, for Blessing of the Cars, when Shag did the art in like 01, I think it was, something like that. I think it was 01. We printed, we screen printed the posters for that. That was my first exposure to a fucking rabbit fan base. I was yeah. flabbergasted. We printed those, and I'm like, whatever, yeah, you know. And then uh, Gabriel and Stephanie got the edition. Um, and I went down there and vended, and I, fuck, they were sold out of those posters within the first hour of the doors, you know, the gates opening yeah. to that place. And then I happened to have a couple like scraggler artist proofs at my booth that I had towards the end of the day kind of pulled out and like motherfuckers were like 
offer me twice of what they were paying for the good ones because I, I, that was my first exposure of like motherfuckers like you know real scrambling to, to acquire that 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 stuff and it was like jesus christ I had, that's crazy fuck <laughs> but uh yeah and shag's done really well for himself what he's got that second story just opened in yeah. palm springs or some shit or i can't remember Crazy. You know, and it's, he's got stuff with Disney, and man, you, if you get into Disney stores, you're doing something right. <laughs> you know, even Disney's fucking paying attention yeah. to this stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, that says something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. Sure. But anyway, what, what else you got, man? Hit me. <laughs> uh, I did want to ask about the the Gap tool. Uh, that was kind of cool when we were talking about like how neat tangible goods are in general. Right. Um, how'd that come about? Well. I did a painting that actually was for a group show that Dan Collins put on when he had that tattoo shop okay. down in. I forget what the name of it. Um, God damn it. I hate when my memory goes. It might hit me here in a minute, but uh, uh, he put on a group show called Hate the Living um, back in like 04, 05, some shit like that. I can't remember. I did this painting. It had this rendering. It was like a giant Frankenstein spark plug thing but it had this gapper is like a you know send in to proof of purchase kind of thing and get this plug gapper it was a joke it was in the painting though and more than a couple people had said you got to make that fucking keychain and at the time that was when you know the iron cross and jesse james was blowing up and i'm like i better make this before somebody else does and that was it it was just like kind of a joke you know what i mean i better i better just make it you know just to do it and like it actually took a while it, it was you know they were manufactured over in china at the time and um uh you know i mean i had to do scale drawings and uh-huh. you know kind of get into that drafting mode again of like you know uh it had to be technical yeah. and the thing here's the deal was is they they had done a uh you know a, a, a test casting or whatever and it took forever and it took like a month to get you know, shit back, you know, uh, so they did a, 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 uh, you know, they did a test one for me and they sent it over and it was all that, you know, it has these three gaps. It had the 35, 40 and, and, and 45, the most common gaps for spark plugs. And, uh, when I got the test pressing back, they were all the same. It wasn't functional and it, I couldn't have that. It had to be a functional plug gap or keychain. Um, so, I'm like, no, it's off, like, fucking blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I was discussing with them um, over the phone where it missed the mark. And they like, so they sent out another tester and it was the same thing. And I'm like, I got on the phone with them and explained what it was and what I needed. And like, they're like, yeah, we just don't think we can get what you're talking about. I said, I'll tell you what, if I take this test one and go to my shop and Dremel it Uh to spec, I'll, I'll get a plug gapper and spec it. Uh-huh. And I go, can I send you that one back? And you just cast off of that. And they're all, you can do that. I go to be in FedEx tomorrow. And I did. I went on that night, you know, went, you know, my shop and dremeled out and spec the, the gaps on this thing and sent them and they got it. They got That's it right. Awesome. So yeah, I only did 500 of these. I still got a few left. I mean, I don't, probably, you know, less than a hundred, no doubt. Um, a few dozen left of them, but, um, uh, I just I wanted to do it. It was just one of those things. Cool. I love stuff like that, you know, where you have to learn all sorts of new stuff about casting just to 
Yeah, yeah. To make this thing function. No, totally, totally. It wasn't, you know, and it was never, God, this was never a fucking financial hit whatsoever, <laughs> dude. Uh, but, you know, I like things. I like things that are manufactured and, you yeah. know, that serve a function. And I just, it was like something I had to do and I did it. Fuck it. <laughs> we were but, talking about that earlier by the, the screen printing thing, how like mm-hmm. screen printing is the thing that turns your art into a, into a thing so that whole yeah. process is yeah it's well it's it's self-contained mass production you know yeah. what i mean it's uh that's appealing um uh in screen printing you can change inks and runs you know so you can you know do variances that you know it's it's uh experimenting if you will um that's immediate you yeah. know what i mean it's like fucking what would happen if I threw some green in here? Uh, you know, blah, and it, sometimes you get again some happy accidents and some weird effects that you you got to do it to, yeah. uh, to 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 get down that that road. You know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, it's the, the reproduction of it. You know, reproductive being self-contained and reproducing your own stuff that was a mass appeal to me I I immediately knew when I got into screen print I immediately made the connection that like I this would be really really cool to be able to control your own reproduction and like keep it all in house you know what I mean and it's 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 proved true no doubt and it's kind of funny to me because screen printing has really exploded in the last few years I just I found that amusing like um, man we used to joke at the old t-shirt shop dude we used to joke that it would be it was when those uh reality shows were coming on strong um and i always thought they just should have done like american screen printing or something and i totally thought i'm like dude this place would be fucking the most hilarious place to do a fucking uh one of those shows because man it was fucking crazy dude because when you think about like when i think of people that i know that do screen printing yeah, they're all. They're oh, they're all. No, dude, they're, 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 it's central casting, dude. Yeah. No, it's and it's like that. Screen printers, um, uh, car painters. Um, there's just like there's something about it that's like they're all kind of the same, dude. Yeah. It's it, they're, it's funnier than shit to me. But I mean, some of the scenarios over there that have, I mean, just the weird dealings and like it was right now. You know, it's downtown, so there's alleyways and shit. And I mean, there'd be fucking dudes pulling in the alleyway getting tricks done during the middle of the fucking day you'd see the fucking cars bumping up and down and you're like we'd go out there and stick our head out there and you'd see a head bob up from the front seat and like fuck man there used to be a a vacant lot next to our shop it was fenced in but like we used to store our derelict cars over there i had cars over there the owner had cars there there was a few a lot of stuff and then at one point he had this um not running um, limousine stuck over there. Mm-hmm. Well, some entrepreneurial uh, uh, lady of the night figured out that this is a lovely place to conduct business. So this, I, there was clearly a whole fucking scene going on there at night uh, when no one was around at the shop. And fuck, it was hilarious some of the shit we'd find in that car. And some of the shit you'd just see back there, it was just... Um, we had a crazy time, dude. A lot of funny shit. Yeah. Uh, a lot of characters that rolled through there. No, I, I had often thought that would probably make a good, a good show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised actually something hasn't come up yet since then. I mean, yeah, I, and maybe they're working on something now. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, screen printing's a weird. 
It's a throwback feel, dude. There's a lot of elements that still resonate from the 60s and 70s, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that are still taking place now. And there's a, there's a whole segment of screen printers that has a really bad reputation with people because they're horrible fucking yeah. business people and hard to deal with. And it's kind of a weird, murky industry. It's still stuck in that time frame. Yeah. Um, so I've heard, I've heard all kinds of story, nightmare stories and shit. But uh, uh, for the most part, I mean... We all still want fucking ink smeared on a shirt, so right. uh, this industry keeps chugging along, but um, there's certainly a lot of people out there that haven't helped the industry at all, no doubt. Yeah. It's just kind of a weird, you know, pirates, man. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like the pirate aspect of tattooing or whatever. I mean, and that still prevails. Well, that still prevails in screen printing to an extent, too. It's yeah. kind of a weird... You know, it's like garage rock. I mean, you it's a pretty accessible thing. I mean, if you want to get into it, you can set up in your garage and yeah. do shit for your band and your buddies and, you know, get in just enough trouble to fuck a bunch of shit up. And, uh, you know, and then there's a whole other side of it where you can keep going with it and it gets into art and shit like that. And, you know, and you get into guys like Chuck Sperry from Firehouse that have gone on to make a fine art career. And he's doing fucking low-run screen print editions. He's doing weird materials like wood and shit like that. But, I mean, I, from what I understand, Chuck's doing very well for himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and he was always really open about the t technique in, the, in screen printing. You know, him and Chuck would go over to Europe and teach them how to, you know, do screen printing and all that shit. So, I mean, he has a massive following uh, uh, over there. Both of them did. And then Chuck kind of kept running with it and doing his fine art um, with it. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot, you know, you can take kind of take it wherever you want to, how far you want to take it, you know? Oh, we were talking about uh, tangible goods earlier when we were back at the shop. Uh-huh. And uh, you were telling me about, like, sort of the way you go about uh, referencing stuff. Because since you're doing something, you're representing something technical, like a engine or a motorcycle mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how you wrap your mind around doing that? Well, a lot of it, I mean, I mean, yeah, when you get into representational stuff like this and you, it, you know, you need to know what something, how it's made up and, and whatnot. It's a technical thing. So, you know, you're, you're, if you don't got the car sitting in front of you, you're going to need photographs or what have you. Um, and, uh, you know, you like, you, you like to leave your mark on whatever you're doing and, and hopefully it's filtered through and it has your touch or character to it. But um, ultimately, I mean, you really need to know aside from an aesthetic thing there's components on like something say a vehicle or a chopper or whatever that serves a purpose and if it's wrong you get called out on it this is a very unforgiving field in that respect and i that is appealing to me and also it's a double-edged sword um i like that frankness of the audience they 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 you know they won't hold back whatsoever hey that's cool and all but you know bro that fucking the tie rods fucking hitting the scrub line what the fuck you know what i mean or like you know you can't there's no way that fucking chopper would be like blah 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 i mean and that's that's it keeps you on your toes i think that's rad yeah you know what i mean um um I'm sure to some that might be like a real letdown and be disheartening to be, have that such critical critiquing going on. But I think that shit's fucking important. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize how important 
critiquing is and having yeah. someone uh, point shit out. Yeah. I, I never, I, I don't know, even in school, I thought it was really, really important. And I had this one teacher, one, I had one teacher that was really good um, when I was over there at City College that like, she was really good at the analytical aspects of making art and critiquing your stuff, looking at it from all angles and uh, uh, changing what needed to be changed. It's important to self-edit. And I, that, I think that's probably one of the things that changed a lot for me when I felt like it clicked yeah. I learned to self-edit and to go even further with some it's one thing to do a drawing hey that's cool and I think most people would just stop it hey this is a cool drawing I'm gonna paint this well go further really refine it really fucking you know really really fine-tune that golden turd yeah. you know as opposed to as opposed to it being a golden turd of like yeah, well, it could be better here. And just really, again, self-editing and really, you know, um, taking it to the next, yeah. you know, really evolving it. And that's critical. That's a really critical aspect to doing art, I think. And a lot of people can't really have a hard time with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And someone else saying something about their shit is just like what's sending them over the edge. I have never been really that married to it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like... It has it has that purpose? That's important. Yeah, it's important to know what the audience is thinking. Yeah, um, uh, it can only make you better, man. Right. You know what I mean? That's I one frustrating thing with social media is that on things like uh, like Instagram or Facebook, where you're getting feedback from your audience, mm -hmm. all you can either get is positive or ignored. Like, there's no. It, it always bothered me that you can't. Like politely dislike something or criticize something online. You know, that's an interesting. Actually, that's an interesting um, um, observation. And um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it hasn't happened. If someone steps up and does like, uh, uh, you know, a, an Instagram account that's just about the open and honest conversation of critique and, right. and like. Which in, and, and actually, I've seen this a little bit in the tattoo world. Uh, uh, tattoo Artist Magazine, they used to do this section of like, um, uh, they'd uh, present a challenge, or not challenge, uh, a scenario of drawing something. And they'd, they'd pick out like four or five dudes and they'd all send in their version. Mm -hmm. And then they, the, the dudes would critique it. And that was fucking rad. That, that is rad. Really cool. Yeah. And, it, um, and in fact, I think Guy Atchison, uh, you know, the 90s biomechanical uh -huh. genius, he's still around. He's, but uh, uh, he has a, uh, I don't know, it's online, but he promotes it on Instagram. And it's, it's about stuff like that. It's like, like the art of the cover-up and shit like that. And they critique each other. And that's fucking important, man. Yeah, that sounds great. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it opens up a dialogue that's critical yeah. for a, cre a creative person to, to have. And uh, to have that stance of uh, being closed off to like how other people perceive your shit or like actually taking a knock on what yeah. you've done and not being able to handle it. It's something you need to really work through, man. Yeah. I, I, you really got to have thick skin in this racket, dude. I mean, you know, I mean, you get bent sometimes. You hear shit and you're like, eh. You know what I mean? Or you kick yourself, beat yourself up. I mean, I'm always a worst critic. I mean, yeah. frankly, I'll be honest with you, dude. I'm not a real big fan of a lot of the stuff I do. Yeah. Flat out. 
but you know what? I've noticed in my travels that a lot of guys that I really respect, they kind of feel the same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to be self-critical and like uh, your own worst critic because uh, that's how you you get better, I think. Well, just imagine what a terrible person to deal with you'd be if you thought your stuff was like... Yeah, well, I mean, there's, but you come across those cats out there, man. It's like fucking, they got, you know, it, everything's a golden turd. And it's just like, no, man, that's just not, no, I don't, yeah. I don't share that sentiment. I, I, I don't know. I, I've had some highlights, I think. I think I've gotten close on some stuff. Yeah. But a lot of times, man, I, I'm just a fucking frustrated artist is the next motherfucker. You know what I mean? Um, it's a tough racket, but uh, I can say, uh, I'm, I'm tenacious. I'm fucking stubborn. Um, uh, being worked into a corner and feel like you've got no other options. That's a great fucking motivator. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff like that. You know what I mean? And it all plays into it. But ultimately, it's, it, you really got to constantly evaluate what you're doing and, and um, not rest on, on your laurels and shit. It's, unfortunately, it's it's... You know what's your what's what's your next big thing? What's your next project? What's you know what I mean? And, and it's it's really a uh, it's a grind, man. You know, uh, I tend to have a lot of projects going at once. You know, in my thing, I figured out a while ago that it was like it's best to have like fucking two different two dozen things going on at once it yeah. just is you know what i mean at any given time i've got at least 12 paintings going some of them i haven't touched in almost a year some of them i fucking was working on it this morning i don't you know what i mean and then then you got design projects going or you got this i mean you just gotta gotta have a lot of stuff because um, you never know what's going to be uh, what's going to sell what's going to actually come to fruition and pay out um it's just kind of it's a real dance man so i found the best bet is to just kind of fucking find out what works for you as far as diversification of projects get a lot of them going because you never know which one's going to actually finally pay out and come to fruition and you can move on and you know yeah. have a fucking dinner that night or a beer I don't know you know what I mean it's, we got practical dude we gotta fucking make money right. you know what I mean and unfortunately you know there's a romanticism about making art and, um, and trust me I have my moments there's times where I, there's a zone I get into when I draw or if I'm painting or stuff but the romance of it is kind of like that kind of went out the window dude this is it's work man you know it what do you do? But but there's some magic that comes out of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to get lost in it. Right? You know, there's a commitment there. That, I, you know, I don't think some people are built to do, I don't think. You know, it's immersive. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, that, the other thing that's funny, I, think, I don't think Robert Williams said it, dude. It was like, your best bet is to paint shit you like. Because odds on, you're the only motherfucker that's going to want that fucking thing anyway. And, you know, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but it probably wasn't too far off of that. But but that's fucking important knowledge, I think. It's really, really critical. And I, I, I... it took a while to, that really to sink in, but it's really... It's something I really, really live by now because it's really true, dude. Yeah. Like, you don't... You don't sell everything you fucking paint. Right. 
Right. You know what I mean? It's just not, you know, if you can get to that strata, woo, knock, man, hats off. But like, your best bet is to just like focus on shit that really twists your nipples because, you know, you're hedging your bets that there's other cats out there that are like-minded. But the other thing is, is if it don't move, at least, well, you got that out of your system or you, it's something you enjoy looking at or it's subject matter you like or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, if me going out and doing abstract work or fucking doing a, a sunset or, you know, plain air painting, I don't... I, I, just, I just, I just don't see that happening. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know. I like a lot of visceral action yeah. in as stuff I make. You know what I mean? That appeals to me. Yeah. Um, Do you have a name for your style? No. We call it like pop surrealism, or that 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 terms floated around. I don't really people. Frankly, I just let whoever yeah. dictates that shit run with it. I just. Kind of and I, like custom culture with two Ks is thrown around, and I'm freaking like, I'm fine with that. I, yeah. Whatever, lowbrow, fucking whatever. Um, uh, I I just I don't know. I think I've settled in the fact that I'm just a I consider myself a, an automo- automotive artist or a hot rod artist. Yeah. And there's some stuff that, that might even have a car in it, but I still think it's hot rod art because of the visceral action of it, that the feeling I get from it. And some people don't understand that, but it's just my vibe, my own weird fucking take on it. But like, like, like Williams again, like there's stuff that he does. It has nothing to do with cars, but that's a goddamn hot rod aesthetic. If I've ever seen one, it's a very visceral, grabs your fucking eyeballs and rips them out of your head. And that's, um, for art to do that is a very unique thing. And I don't know about you, but I've sat in galleries. Like when I first saw like like Ron English's work or fucking uh, even like like the Piz or, or Franco or something. Man, when I was or even fucking Wiesner, yeah. when I was first standing in front of one of those originals, it was just like it fucking twisted me up. Yeah. Fucked me up. You know what I mean? Because it, it's wow. That I, for a, a graphic guy, it just it's uh, it's church to me yeah. it's a religious experience to me you know what i mean and it's a, no different than a, in a with an old fucking car um uh, there's a spiritual thing that happens with some of this shit that like transcends what it is a, a form of transportation is fucking rolling art you know what i mean and it's just rad as shit until you experience it until you sit in it and drive something like that or like you're in a gallery and you're standing in front of it and staring at it as opposed to like vicariously seeing it through digital media or book or whatever you know magazines um to be standing in front of it is a whole different thing and you know i'm I'm amazed that sometimes people i've talked to over the years you know and most everyone that probably listened to this and um um, or like fans of like Robert Williams. I've, I've, I've actually amazed quite a few people that I've met that have never seen an original. Yeah. And I've told them, I go, if you ever fucking get a chance, look, go fucking seek it out because it will fucking, it will change your perception on what can be done with, with paint and canvas and um, just how incredibly engaging that is. You know what I mean? And as an artist, that's what you want to achieve. I think you're trying to engage an audience. You're trying to, get that unwavering attention. You know what I mean? That like someone, you do something that someone can't not look at. It just appeals to them so much. You know what I mean? What more can you ask for? Something that hangs on a fucking wall. 
This stuff is all, it's not necessary stuff. I mean, people, you know, a fucking painting is one of the most unnecessary fucking things in life. What do you, how do you, how do you reconcile that? How do you get up every day and make fucking shit that people really don't have to have to fucking live? But there are people out there that kind of do. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm one of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I went down that rabbit hole. I'm like one of those guys that has to have this crazy weird shit we're sitting in a what we're doing this interview right now in a shop that's full of weird fucking crazy shit everywhere and I like that like going into a tattoo shop some people get fucking weirded out and vertigo and like there's so much shit going on I feel really at home there yeah same here and and again it it goes back to like a religious experience to me that's my kind of church that's my kind of and and like the people that frequent that area you know the the gray area the fucking um, you know your your near do wells and your outlaw aspect. That shit is all very appealing to me. Yeah. It always has been. You know the, the the music shit and the the punk rock aspect of it. And I that stuff is all not lost on me. I really really it's it's like I'm I'm a pig in mud. Yeah. This is like my element. I fucking I have friends that fucking walk down the street with them and people cross the other back. You know years ago back before it wasn't this was kind of stuff is more common now but like you know dudes that look like bikers and shit like that they used to scare people yeah you know what i mean and like these guys dude i would trust these dudes with my life like you know what i mean like there's a weird dynamic there that like i really really like that subculture and i really i really believe this is a subculture and um uh, you know, a lot of this, people say, well, it's been co-opted and monetized and fucking this, that, and the other thing. And I still think the core fucking outlawness of it is still there. No. You can't fake that shit. And like, sure. um, uh, I still adhere to that. I just like, yeah. I just like that outsider element, that uh, the grayness of it. You know, it's a, it appeals to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, you hear that with the tattoo guys, you know, that's lost that carny aspect of the uh, the outlaw aspect of it and all yeah. that stuff. And it's still there. You just got to fucking dig a little bit more for it and surround yourself with those people. And those are the kind of guys I like to hang out with, man. I, I have a um, there's a shared commonality there. Yeah. You know, and like, and like I said about going into tattoo shops, I fucking love going to those places are rad to me. I could sit yeah. in there all day and just stare at it. Sometimes I'll get, just sit there and draw, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause it's a fucking, you can, to, to me, I could just feel the walls vibrating. You know what I mean? Like, um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just a visual person yeah. period. And I'm, I'm a twitchy guy. Like I, I'm not real good about sitting around. Like I like to sketch a lot and if, you know, I'll sit there and watch TV and sketch and you know what I mean? Uh, uh, sometimes you can't turn this stuff off, you know? Yeah. You draw every day? Oh yeah. 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 Wow. At the very least, I try to. Every once in a while, you know, I might, some day might slip by and I won't. But, like, even if it's just a fucking doodad or, you know, like, you know, I, you know, even if it's just, like, I'm fucking brain dead right now, but I feel like sketching. You know, you just sketch a skull, but, I mean, like, whatever. Um, but uh, I think it's really important to keep your hand yeah. trained. And, it, you know, and, that, and that's kind of stuff that I didn't really know about you know, first starting out. And you, again, you start getting around other artists and stuff and uh, uh, t- t- tattoo guys and stuff and where you where where your guys that are, 
making graphics, making imagery on a daily basis, and you understand that there's a uh, there's a visual language and like uh, a dexterity thing of keeping your hand in in the groove and shit like that. It's just uh, 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 I think there's a commonality across the board on a lot of different avenues that you know. I guess I got would imagine the same thing with like a musician. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I love music, dude, but I have no musical aptitude, dude. I'm a professional audience, yeah. but I fucking I couldn't imagine making art without music. Yeah, love fucking all kinds of shit, weird shit, you name it. Um, but I couldn't imagine like a musician. I mean, I'm sure they're plucking on a fucking guitar or doing something every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if they're not thinking about it, it's just you got to kind of you kind of get in that get in where you fit in and that's you know and you do it you know it, it's weird oh, I, I, I want to talk about the uh, the fruit freight art oh, I don't think we talked about that at all oh um yeah that was uh I'm, I'm looking at the skateboard deck in the background that's what reminded me well that was uh that was the series for anti-hero skateboards and that that came out of that produce label show I had done the previous year yeah. Um, and uh, the produce label stuff came out of I have a thing for labels in general and it's it's actually kind of been my Achilles heel because frankly I mean I like to work text into paintings and it's just fucking it's so laborious to do and I, uh, I I try to get around it as much as I can but for some reason I think this might harken back to the proclivity towards stand up comedy and, and humor and stuff I just I like to interject words in the paintings. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, is um, uh, they take it takes fucking forever for me to do text and stuff because I get anal about it. And, yeah. um, uh, some people look at it and go, "Man, you're really good at fucking blah blah blah." And I'm looking at them and go, "Yeah, well, I fucking took me fucking forever." <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, so I've tried to navigate away from that. But my point is, is I've always really liked labels. I used to do firecracker labels for a while. I've always liked firecrackers and um, the packaging on them and whatnot. And like, that kind of went dormant for a few years, and um, uh, I kind of felt like taking a break somewhat from from car shit just kind of a moonlight way and I, I came across some fruit label produce label uh, imagery at some fucking fair or what I can't remember what it was but it kind of just got me juiced on labels again so I did like a produce label show and like big paintings fictitious labels but um, uh, in that genre nonetheless and um, it was a big enough gallery space. It was a fellow artist here downtown. She had a really rad space and uh, called a bitchin' space. Gail Hart, actually, she's one of the artists that uh, did some of the public art for the Golden One Center that just oh. opened up. Cool. Um, she did the hand and the darts and stuff. Oh. Um, and in fact, I think a lot of the manufacturing of that happened in San Francisco. But um, anyway, um, she has a workspace. She still does to this day. Um, and she hasn't done shows as of lately, but she used to do shows periodically, fellow artists. And I really liked the way she did her show. She, it was a, it's a bitch in space. It's a warehouse kind of, and she really knows how to light shit. And it was just a, she knew what she was doing. I really liked the way she did her thing. The space was big enough. So I had my truck in the middle of the, the space and we had like hay bales and shit in the back of the truck. Like it was a produce hauler or whatever. So it kind of completed the package. Um, frankly, that show was only up for like four days. One of the proudest shows I've ever done, frankly. And I don't, whatever. I mean, 
I do shows, whatever. But like, I was really fond of that show. I liked aesthetically the way it looked. She lit it bitchin'. She's a cool chick. She had a fucking half pipe in the back courtyard area. So I mean, cats are out there skating and shit. It's fucking cool. It was yeah. cool. Um, anyway, uh, John Cardiel from Any Hero had seen that show and hit me up. They had six riders on their team at the time. And he was like, what if I gave you like the name or, you know, where each rider was from and you kind of just run with it and do it in that produce label vein. And I'm like, I gotcha. So, and the thing about skateboarding shit that I really like is, is, uh, uh, it's a really, really, really fucking punk rock fucking arena playing because nothing is off the table. I think yeah. I think this audience will know that, like, you know, skateboard art over the last 30 years is just fucking mind-bending, yeah. uh, some of the shit. I mean, Jim Phillips from Santa Cruz, fucking, he's there with Williams to me. I mean, yeah. fucking untouchable and just bulletproof fucking designs that grabbed you by the fucking skull. But, like... Uh, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is, is nothing's off the table. There's nothing sacred. Yeah. You could do anything. And I fucking love that, dude. That was a fucking very appealing thing. So I, you know, I did some comedic shit with those boards and like, you know, you know, like all of them had like taglines on the tail. Like that one's yeah. walk and roll and that one's sweet like a bullet. And basically those, those dudes, that's where they were from. That, you know, Hewitt was from San Diego, and um, I forget who fucking Bandito was. Uh, yeah, Alan, he was from San Juan Capistrano, which yeah. I guess was the birthplace of Zorro, which is why that's that way. And then they have, they're known for their orange groves there, and then like those archways, you know, that, that Spanish archways, those are fucking everywhere. And so I kind of did a little research on each area where each rider was from and kind of just kind of made humorous shit. And those are, there's original paintings of those. I, those paintings are at the house. I have them all still. I never sold them. Um, they're like one foot by four foot, um, proportionate to a skateboard. You shrink it down, it reproduce tight, whatever. So I produced those for that. And that went really well. It was, I mean, it was just fun. Nothing was off the table. I mean, there were some drawings that were rather questionable. And um, uh, they were wide open to it. They, yeah. they didn't give a shit. And that's, that's rad, dude. That's, that's, cool. that's like, you can get a gig. <laughs> Fucking, that's pretty cool. But, um, and dealing with Cardiel and like, you know, I, I knew a little bit about him. But I mean, like, dude, in that skateboarding world, he's like a fucking... He's the dude. Yeah. And like, I don't know. He was just this weird cat that showed up at my shop fucking, you know, kind of scraggling. He's kind of a scraggler dude, you know, and like, but he was the fucking coolest dude to talk with, man. Like, um, uh, you know, and I dealt a little with, with, uh, like Caballero before, um, doing poster work with like reproducing, uh, Dirty Donnie. We've printed a few, sh uh, probably a half dozen of Dirty Donnie posters. Um, and when, cab was in the road zombies um uh he spearheaded a couple posters and donnie did the art um and uh we screen printed them and whatnot so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a, yeah there's a couple of them that are really good i was really fond of how those came out yeah. um uh 
but deal like dealing with Cav. I mean, really neat. There's a lot of neat guys in skateboarding, and I've noticed that in hot riding. There's just a whole there's a whole group of guys that all migrated out of skateboarding yeah. um, in the in the in the rods and customs, and it's it's really rad because I loved skateboarding when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so it's really really cool to deal with these guys, and they're fucking neat guys. You know what I mean? Like we got Ricky Windsor here in Sacramento, and he's he migrated out of skateboarding into custom cars and his fucking aesthetic is rad dude i mean um he did shit in the 90s that like car guys around here we all like it's still to this day is like fucking you know it was rad as shit yeah. you know he's just this fucking crazy fucker that <laughs> modifies cars in his shop out behind his house you know what i mean but um uh, the skateboarding world's really fun to me. Yeah. It's a really cool arena to do graffiti. And the fact of the matter is to have shit on a deck, on, on a skate deck that's going to get used, it's a really, really neat thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to see it all used up and scraped up, it's fucking cool. Um, so I've, you know, I mean, I've been I've done some stuff for some other outfits. Um, Paisley Skates out of San Francisco, um, uh, along with uh, Steve-O at, at uh, All Hail the Black Market, which was on a deck that I believe was shaped by Paul Schmidt. Had that project going on. And then this year, the two decks uh, I did for... Uh, well, the imagery was initially done for ch shirts, wearables, and whatnot. And that was for uh, uh, Doomsayers mm -hmm. here in Sacramento. And... Uh, Omar, Omar hit me up on that stuff, and like, I mean, if, I remember when he hit me with the wanting to do those designs. The first thing out of my mouth was, "Were you gonna do decks?" <laughs> like, I, don't, I was just like, I, I'm always thinking about skateboarding. I just like, I think it's a cool medium. Um, uh, but they, they did eventually do the designs I did for him did eventually come out on skate decks and like Omar he was a rad dude to deal with Didn't, fucking just a neat creative guy with a lot of fucking energy man and like it's cool to tap into that you know what I mean there's this new generation coming out and they got some shit going on man um, and I remember when Omar Omar came to me when I was still managing production over at the t-shirt shop and he hadn't he hadn't done Doomsayers yet it was just his idea mm. and he came to me and he was like telling me all these convoluted shit he wanted and i'm like i remember i was i if i remember correctly i was neck deep in a lot of stuff for asphalt invitational because mm -hmm. um, we did all those show posters for all five of those shows and uh when it was always around that time frame of that show it was pretty much all hands on deck i mean because we did everything like posters stickers shirts fucking it was uh, an involved process and like he was hitting me up with this really goofy idea to me at the time and i'm like well here's the deal why don't you sketch down some what you're thinking so I kind of get a better idea of where you're coming from and hit me up and I never heard from the guy again he was a young kid at the time and I just I just never thought about it again and then like he got a hold of me I don't know it was on social media or something and, and hit me up and like we start talking he's like hey I'm that dude that came by the t-shirt and I'm like you're the fucking guy because I I'd been seeing his name pop up all over town and then like this doomsayer shit and what the fuck's this doomsayer stuff like he man I mean they came out of nowhere like and he like when we start talking about this project he's like yeah I'm that kid that came up and fucking when it before doomsayers had started and I was asking you about because I think he was trying to come up with a logo for him or whatever and I'm like now I remember it now it was just funny just funny how he never forgot he just had been busy starting the company you know what I mean but uh, uh, those guys are rad over there they're really doing cool shit I've been fortunate that they 
for some reason liked my stuff and thought enough to seek me out about it, which is pretty cool, dude. Um, uh, and lately I've been doing stuff with Legend Skateboard just to kind of, uh, that's a little more hands-on because he's actually manufacturing that he's like doing laminating and stuff like that. So it's like, it's a whole different process of like, well, I can actually get, do some screen printing and then actually have it, you know, end up being on decks and stuff like, so it's, it's a little more, I'm getting even a little more entrenched. Um, and, and, you know, having to make jigs and stuff for the, how, what materials we're working with and whatnot. And it's, it's, it's been fun. I mean, you know, it's, it's no different when I first figured out how to do stickers and like do elaborate multicolor stickers and stuff. Cause I always loved stickers as a kid yeah. and to be able to do those as an adult is a very, very cool thing to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It fucking, uh, again, I'm picking mud about shit like that. Cause it was just, I just always thought that shit was fucking the cat's meow yeah. when I was a kid. And, you know, uh, I guess I'm one of those dudes that that's where that stuff comes from. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It, it appeals to the child in me. You got to keep your child, you know what I mean? Your perspective, you know, that, that wonder, that inquisitiveness about things. Um, uh, it's really easy to get jaded as you get older. And, and it's like, uh, there comes to a point where you got to hedge your bets that like, uh, I think you need to retain some of that curiosity that childlike wonder in life uh, to do this kind of stuff uh, because uh, it's really important. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like a two edged sword, like being self-critical and analyzing your stuff. And the other thing is, is it's important not to overanalyze. You just got to do shit. You know what I mean? And I, you get into problems sometimes where you're like overthinking shit. And it's like uh, this, a lot of this stuff is just a visceral gut punch thing. It's like, you kind of figure out the best way of uh, drawing or, or producing whatever you're going to do, but like do it in a way that's just like very direct, very visceral, just, you know what I mean? And it's like, and not overthink it too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's not high art for sure. You know what I mean? It, it, uh, it's, it's, it's for a certain audience. Yeah. And it's important to remember that, you know what I mean? I have no delusions of grandeur about being in, like, a fucking, the Crocker Art Museum, which is, like, fucking three miles from here or whatever. Yeah. Go there. We're members there. I love going into Crocker Art. They only got a couple, three references to, um, loosely referenced to automotive art. Mm -hmm. I, I have no delusions of grandeur of that ever making its way into that institution, whatever. Yeah. Not, not the major priority for me. I don't know. I like being in the trenches my you know it's a, it's here's the thing man you get a fucking car guy that likes your stuff and is willing to buy it that says a lot to me yeah the car guys are pretty meat and potato dudes and not like they're fucking got these fancy homes and they collect art and shit like that yeah. it says a lot if they fucking want to pop down their hard-earned cash for something that's going to hang on a wall yeah. um that's a really really good way to look at that you know what I mean? That to me it carries more weight yeah. than some yeah. dill read rich guy that fucking right. buys stuff on speculation, or it's because it's the he's the hot artist and you got to right. fucking buy his shit, and you know, and they got it at their vacation home that piece, and you know, it's maybe seen a couple times a year, yeah. and these are fucking real scenarios you know yeah. and, I and I'm pretty sure I got my pieces in a couple of those collections <laughs> you know and it's like whatever that's cool yeah. but 
what I'm saying is, is that's not my primary focus. Yeah. And some would say you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're really limited your your audience or your collector base, if you will. But I like the fact that that's a tough audience. And yeah. if you get them to like your stuff, that's very gratifying to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like musicians liking other musicians or whatever. You know what I mean? Or like, like you were talking with stand-up comedy earlier. That's about like winning a room over, you know? That's yeah, no, it's it's no... Same challenge. That's not an easy thing yeah. to do. And the guys that do it well, it, it's I think it's magical to watch. As far as, you know, like in comedy, like, you know, like... Uh, uh, Bill Hicks, or who's an underappreciated, I think, stand-up comic. I think he was way ahead of his time, um, you know. Or Sam Kinison, he gets relegated to being that loudmouth dude. But Sam Kinison, you go back and listen to some of his shit, and it was fucking rad, dude. Yeah. Some of his observations, and you know, and then you got, you know, whoever fucking George Carlin. Yeah, fuck, dude. I mean, fuck. Um, you know, and then you got fucking, you know, whatever Eddie Murphy or fucking. Richard Pryor, fucking, it's just, I, when that stuff clicks and it's hitting, man, I just, you know, it's a gut punch to me. I think yeah. it's, it's, uh, I, I appreciate that perspective, that those observations, yeah. you know, um, I don't know, but yeah, we're bouncing around all over the place, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just under two hours of. Was there anything else, uh, upcoming stuff that you want to talk about? Um, oh, I was thinking of Legend Skateboards. That's Corey Scholes is the guy behind that. But he's been fun to work with. He's really open about yeah. what he does. And uh, we're kind of experimenting some stuff. So, yeah, there's some stuff in the works with him. Um, it should be interesting. And then, uh, uh, actually, what's today? The 5th? Yes. Yeah. And so yes. in one month, I'll, yeah, one month I'll be out in Wichita at uh, Dennis McPhail's uh, this will be the second annual custom culture Christmas fucking thing that he puts on. But um, it's a pretty rad thing, dude. It's just something that he he uh, he picks the artists, you know what I mean? And he's got he's got a, a shop, warehouse space, if you will, behind his uh, tattoo shop in Wichita, Kansas, uh, Artists at Large Tattoo. And it's, it's a pretty big space. And he, yeah. uh, you know, brings in tables and shit like that. And he brings in a... a couple dozen artists and has some pinstripers there and it's pretty you know it's 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 buying for the artists it's a pretty rad thing and they're really uh the uh midwest people are really into it dude i mean you get that that enthusiasm that sometimes is uh fleeting out here and yeah. on the west coast we get jaded about this shit and right. fucking whatever but uh Dennis is a rad dude, and that's a really rad show he puts on. It's a, it's a cool thing to jam out there, and it's amazing. I mean, just to do a day show. Yeah. Uh, but the response is there, dude, you know. And as an artist, I mean, what do you, what do you that's what you need, man, yeah. what you hope, you know. But that's another thing about, you know, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of artists, you know what I mean? And if you get to meet them and, you, you know, some you become friends with, and that's a really rad thing to have a mutual respect for each other's work, you know what I mean? Um, that's a really cool thing also. It's, uh, it's just not always the case. Um, but when it does happen, it's a pretty cool, cool thing. Making art, you're like an, on an island, dude. You're kind of on your own, I think. You know what I mean? I mean, I imagine maybe in L.A. or something, guys interact more. I don't know. I don't, you know what I mean? But it's nice periodically to, to 
connect with cats that do a similar shit and that like you know you guys have the same language you yeah. you, you know making art is, is a visual language and you, and you got to speak the same speak you know what i mean and it's it's nice when you can connect with um guys other artists and stuff you know makes you feel like you're not alone man <laughs> and god knows dude there's a shit ton of us out there now yeah. that's for sure it's exploded in the last few years it's amazing to me but it's still it's you know making arts a solitary endeavor you know what i mean yeah. it's not like you're in some bar and it's a big fucking party you know a lot of a lot of hours you know alone listen to music fucking <laughs> but yeah why not unless there's anything else i think we got it crazy Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Cool. Thanks, Nick. No, it was a pleasure. Glad we uh, figured some stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. That's the end of the interview. Man, wasn't that great? Bruce was a really interesting guy. He had so much interesting stuff to say. I really hope we can meet up again and uh, pick up the conversation later. So that's just about all I got. I did want to mention, man, The this next weekend is uh, is Black Friday, and if you remember back in episode zero, that was when I recorded the first episode of the show. So we're coming up in our first year. Thank you guys so much for spreading the word, leaving positive reviews on iTunes, and letting people know the show exists. I have so much fun putting this together. It's one of my favorite things that I do right now. Thank you so much for the support. Uh, that's all I got for now. The one-year anniversary episode is next, and uh, I'm hoping to bring you guys something special. So stay tuned, and I'll see you then.